Yesterday, we were talking about how Kawhi Leonard is suing Nike for his claw logo and how, you know, he wants to use it on his own merchandise. And when you talk about this NBA Finals, Raptors merchandise is hard to come by. You know, everybody wants to get their hands on Raptors merchandise, whether it's vintage merchandise or whether it's new merchandise. It's hard. Chris, you were out searching for for some merchandise for your brother yesterday. And what did you see as far as the racks were concerned? Well, you know, they've got a bunch of more final stuff than that was available at the beginning of the series. But it doesn't look great, i got to say. Even the stuff that is, you know... You know, licensed and proper stuff is not not the hottest looking stuff. So I ordered something from the NBA store, yeah. but it's not going to arrive until mid-June, long after the whole finals and the, the championship is decided. It'll be nice to have it as a keepsake, and it is sort of the, the warm-up t-shirt that the team is wearing. So I like having that, you know, the real McCoy, the actual thing, something mm-hmm. that has been has seen on TV or has seen on the players' backs. I like having something that looks really official like that. Because you want to get your game day sweat on it. That that yeah, exactly that sweat that actually has a stink about it. It's going to make that, me play better. It's that scared sweat, which always <laughs> smells horrible. Um, if you're looking for the real deal, it's got a holographic label on it. That's a good way to spot that it's not a fake. But the NBA's uh, intellectual property lawyers are all over this. In fact, one of their intellectual property lawyers is in the city of Toronto right now. They are leading a team of private investigators as they enforce intellectual property rights. They say there's a lot of counterfeit Raptors gear out there during the playoffs, and they are not only trained to differentiate between legitimate and counterfeit goods, but they also are working with city bylaw officers to bust them. They're out on game nights looking for them. This this happens a lot, counterfeit material and merchandise, because people don't want to pay the price for the real stuff, and yeah, other people... They're up to no good, can make a, a quick buck off of the merchandise that's counterfeit, phony, faux. David Lipkiss is no stranger to this. He's an in, He is a uh, intellectual property lawyer, an anti, anti-counterfeiting expert. And he usually is out on uh, nights where we've got big bands in the city. Welcome to the show, David. Good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. Okay, so how big of a problem it is uh, like counterfeit merchandise out there when you're talking about sports and when you're talking about you know bands that come to the city of Toronto? Well, I can tell you that the industry is a billion-dollar industry, and there have been studies done to confirm that 3.3% of global trade is as it relates to counterfeit. So speaking from specifically as it relates to Toronto, a great night for us, busting any artist that's in town and the counterfeiters that are selling, we could get anywhere between 300 and 400 t-shirts delivered up. And that's no small feat um, before and after a concert. Wow. So you guys are out literally in plain clothes busting people. Correct. So what ha- when, I, when you say busting people, that's a great way of putting it. The reality is we're delivering cease and desist letters and letting the counterfeiters know that what they're doing is illegal because breaching the Trademarks Act and selling these goods is a crime. And so we put them on notice that what they're doing is wrong, and we ask them to stop selling and to deliver up the counterfeit. And thankfully, to date, we obtain compliance. And uh, so, so they, they actually have to give you the merch they have. 
they they agree to do it. Yeah, we, once they find out that they're breaking the law, they do it, and that's because the letter explains to them that what they're doing is illegal. And we're there with uh, licensed private investigators and either paid duty Toronto police officers or by law enforcement, depending on the night, to let them know that um, they're breaking the law. What are the fines? So it depends on the situation. For example, by law enforcement, if you're peddling merchandise without a license, there can be a fine of up to $5,000. That's if you're doing it on public property. However, if you're breaching the Trademarks Act and in the hypothetical situation that litigation is commenced against these people, there can be damage awards of you know $29,000 plus against them. So the money is real and the risk is real to them in continuing to sell. How often do you take these people to court? For a night, for a concert, not often. And the reality is they comply. So if we deliver... But isn't that incentive? I mean, so they're going to lose their merchandise and they're going to lose their money, but it's incentive to come back the next night and try it again. You're absolutely right. And that's what happens. And that's why you saw the title of some of the articles was this cat and mouse or whack-a-mole game. And you're right. The problem is it's very expensive to enforce your rights in Canada. And the way the legislation is drafted makes it difficult for artists that attend or for trademark owners to go to court and obtain these court orders with teeth to really put a a real dent into the problem. And, you know, brands have to make that choice depending on the situation. We we have lots of clients that do litigate and sue and obtain judgments to put a real stop to the problem. How do you... How do you spot somebody that's selling counterfeit goods? So the rights owners are trained in how to identify, and it really depends on the brand. But you mentioned the hologram, for example. So there are covert and overt technologies built into the merchandise. And if you take popular sports merchandise, um, a typical hat, for example, there could be a a special micro-thread in there that has special writing in it that you need to look at with a magnifying glass. The counterfeits just might have a silver thread, and so it's very easy with the naked eye to identify. But why would an average consumer care if they get the one with the... Uh, you know, that special, I got to get out my magnifying glass to see if this is official. Well, they should care because the reality is the funds that are going towards the fake merchandise can be used for organized crime. There's confirmed cases in Canada where the money has been used to fund terrorist activity. And I don't care who you are, what type of consumer you are. There's no way that you're prepared to um, support that type of activity. That's really interesting to find out because I think that's kind of shocking. I think most people would think, oh, okay, well, I'm just getting a, a, you know, just a cheap, cheap, a cheap T-shirt here or a poorly made hat that's not going to last as long, but I'm not going to wear it, so what do I care? Yeah, and they'd be wrong, and I hope that, and I'm glad you had me on, and I hope that people do think twice about it because there are confirmed cases in Canada where these funds are going towards this terrible activity, and, and really people shouldn't want to support this illegal trade. Let's not forget, Kelly, they're committing a crime in selling this fake merchandise, so people should think twice next time. So the hawkers, I, I find this fascinating. They have their own spotters, counter spotters. So you guys are out plain clothes, looking around. I would imagine, you know, if you're going to use a magnifying glass to find out if it has that interesting thread that, you know, has writing on it, that you're trying to do it as uh, covertly as possible. I don't know how you would do that. Um, but they're looking for you, looking for them. Tell us about that and how they work that. Yeah, first, um, just to be clear, it's not as difficult as you would imagine. The Most of the counterfeit sellers, they've got a mini duffel bag. They carry between 10 to 20 T-shirts. They're holding the T-shirts up, yelling, T-shirts, cash, T-shirts, cash. So generally, that's the first red flag to the enforcement team that what's going on might be illegal. Then you would then meet that person and um, deliver the paperwork and, uh, and then serve the 
the letters and hopefully obtain delivery up. So what happens is there will be a team of, let's say, between 8 to 10 people on the good guy's side, what I'll refer to as the rights owner side, that will uh, deliver that paperwork. On the other side, you might have between 10 and 20 sellers, all with between 10 and 20 T-shirts at any given time doing the selling. What happens is at the moment the first enforcement team visits that first vendor, what we see is we see other individuals within the area getting on their phones or texting, depending on the situation, and identifying the area that the enforcement team is in. We know that because we have plainclothes people that are spotting not part of the enforcement teams that are watching this activity. So what happens is, and I'll give an example, at Scotiabank Arena, if we're at Bay Street or York Street and we say enforcement team one's on the go, we notice immediately the two or three other sellers we see in the area go to the other side of the arena and start selling there. We're on both sides or we're on Front Street, or we're on Lakeshore. So we, we have eyes and ears everywhere. And so what happens is we're also communicating internally um, to get the enforcement team in the right area, again, to put a real dent into their sales. They used to sell them out of vans. Why don't they anymore? So they, it's not that they don't sell at a vans. What happens is if we can find the stash point, which is the, the large quantity of merchandise, their night's over. Right? So let's say on any, any given night they have, let's say, 500 T-shirts manufactured. They'll only carry between 10 and 20 per night because after they're served with paperwork, they hand those over, and there are times we've found where they've gone to refill at a van. If we find that van, game over. And so their night is done. And it so, sounds so exciting. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, actually. I do love my job. <laughs> How many people are on your team? It depends on what the brands want, but on any given night, um, we would have between 8 and 10 people. And it really just depends because the reality is the brands can choose depending on their budget. So it, it costs money. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not cheap to hire. And paid duty Toronto police officers cost money. And paid duty by law enforcement officers cost money. And these are all costs incurred in the night. Wow. I, I don't think anybody's aware of this while they're going into a game or a concert venue that this is going on covertly around them. I find it fascinating. What is more lucrative for the county for counterfeiters? Is it this the uh, finals for a major sporting event, or is it a big concert tour? Uh, I think they would be equally, you know, they'd be equally um, valuable to them. The reason being, the more people there are, the more targeted customers there are, the more potential for sales. So if you've got lots of people in Toronto, which you certainly have at a Raptors game because you've got the full arena, plus you have Jurassic Park, plus you have everyone in the bars and restaurants. So that's really not too much different than a really popular artist that's in town. You have a full arena, plus you have people um, in the area. And so uh, the more people are, the, there are, the more potential there is. But I heard you talking with Chris earlier about wanting to get the real thing. Yeah. The reality is, most consumers do want the real thing, and, and I would disagree. I did buy merchandise, and I, I liked the merchandise that I bought when I was at the game, that, mm-hmm. which was the licensed versions. And, you know, I bought a, a black T-shirt with the red NBA Finals writing and it had the Raptors logo on it. That, you know, I wish I had seen the, the white Nike T-shirt that Chris was referencing, which the players are wearing when they're warming up. But these keepsakes are important to consumers, and people want the legitimate keepsake. And I, my hope is that people can continue to buy. I was at game two and the lineups were very long to get into the real sports store and to to get into any of the venues selling the legitimate at the arena. The anti-counterfeit crews 
Do you guys ever, you have to deliver a cease and desist letter first. Do you ever ensue on any foot races? <laughs> Chases? We, that's a great question. Um, I prefer not to chase, as they say, although there have been some hawkers and peddlers that have been known to try and run away, but we do it in a very safe way um, to ensure that nobody gets hurt. There, there has been a time that I've, been, that I've witnessed with my own eyes. It wasn't my team, but I witnessed at a concert that I went to that I was not working at, and I saw one of the peddlers run out right into the middle of the street into oncoming traffic. That's not smart, um, so you, we certainly try and avoid those types of situations to ensure that even the hawker and peddler is kept safe. David, I appreciate your time. It's been really informative and kind of exciting. Well, thanks for having me on, Kelly. Cheers. That's David Lipkiss. He is an intellectual property lawyer and anti-counterfeiting expert.